0: God bless you guys. Good morning. morning. So we're going to start a brand new conversation today, and I want to hop right in. Um, you, You might be nervous because the notes look long because there's this really long scripture at the beginning. And I was, even as I was sitting here during worship, I was wrestling with whether I wanted to read it all or not. And I think I'm going to. And so take a deep breath because if we don't get through everything today, I'm okay with that because this is going to be a really, really super important conversation. And important conversations don't have to happen all at once. And um, the the more important part of a conversation is that what needs to get communicated gets communicated. And I think that there's probably two things that uh, we don't talk enough about and don't talk correctly about and that's sin and grace in the church. And they should be the two things we talk most about because really it's the, it's the story of the Bible. It's everything scripture is about. It's our journey uh, born into grace, created in grace, then out of grace because of sin and then uh, recaptured in grace because of what Christ did on the cross. Yet um, we have a way of focusing Uh, hyper-focusing on one or the other or neither one of them. And uh, I feel like we've fallen back into the trap of what humans do, and that's screw up a good thing. And God has given us a good thing and we've screwed it up. And um, when I say we've screwed up a good thing, I don't mean Adam and Eve screwing up perfection, which happened. I don't even mean sin screwing up the life God created for us, which happened. I mean that we live in the the season, the covenant of grace, and we still allow sin to be the most important thing in our life. And we, as a church, and I'm saying capital C, we we just get we get sin wrong. Um, I can say that as someone who, <clears throat> pardon me, for the last several decades some decades, two weeks, I don't know how long I've been in ministry. I have done it wrong myself. I have personally in my own walk with Christ misunderstood misunderstood scripture, misunderstood the teaching of sin and the teaching of grace. And then in turn, I've taught poorly on it. And my hope is that I get to remedy that and I get to change the narrative and change the conversation so that more of us can walk in freedom. We understand sin better what it is and what it isn't. We understand grace better. And then we really truly understand what it means to walk in the freedom that we have as followers of Christ. So if you want to, you can follow along in your notes, the passage, or you can open this up in your Bible. I will tell you that I read this passage in uh, six, seven different translations, all easy to read translations. And I would tell you, I don't think anyone gets it as right as the message does. And the message is a paraphrase. I'm going to let you know that. It's not a word-for-word translation or even a concept-for-concept. It is a a paraphrase, but it does a really, really good job of opening up the meaning of what Paul's trying to communicate in this passage. So we're going to just go through all this together. So hang in there. You shouldn't have any trouble understanding. He's speaking to Jews. So I'm going to tell you his audience. You shouldn't have any trouble understanding this, friends. For you know all the ins and outs of the law. He's talking about the Mosaic law, Moses' law. How it works and how its power touches only the living. And here's, he goes on to explain that. For instance, a wife is legally tied to her husband while he lives. But if he dies, she's free. If she lives with another man while her husband is living, she's obviously an adulteress. But if she dies, she's quite, but if he dies, she's quite free to marry another man in good conscience with no one's disapproval. So my friends, this is something like what has taken place with you. He says, I want to give you that illustration. When Christ died, he took that entire rule dominated, talking about the law, way of life down with him and he left it in the tomb, leaving you free to marry a resurrection life and bear offspring of faith for God. For as long as we lived that old way of life, the old law, doing whatever we felt we could get away with, in other words, trying to find loopholes in the law, sin was calling most of the shots as the old law code hemmed us in. And he goes on to explain, here is how the law worked in harmony with sin to mess up our lives. And this made us all the more rebellious. In the end, all we had to show for it was miscarriages and stillborns. But now that we're no longer shackled to that domineering mate of sin, the law was partnering with sin. And he says, as followers of Christ, we're no longer connected to that. And out from under those oppressive regulations and fine print, all the many, 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 many laws that guided us and taught us how we should be righteous, but we're not actually, we're free to live a new life in the freedom of God. But I can hear you say, if the law code was as bad as that, it's no better than sin itself. That's certainly not true. The law code had a perfectly legitimate function. Without its clear guidelines for right and wrong, moral behavior would be mostly just guesswork. Apart from the succinct surgical command, you shall not covet, I could have dressed uh, covetousness up to look like a virtue and ruined my life with it. Don't you remember how it was? I do perfectly well. The law code started out as an excellent piece of work. What happened though was that sin found a way, I love this, found a way to pervert the command into a temptation, making it a piece of forbidden fruit out of it. In other words, the law, sin had a way of making the law make you want to sin more. Because it said you can't have it, so you thought, oh, if I can't have it, I want it, right? God said, don't eat the fruit, and Adam and Eve ate the fruit. The code instead of being used to, gu- uh, instead of being used to guide me was used to seduce me. Without all the paraphernalia of the law code, sin looked perfectly dull and lifeless. And I went along without paying much attention to it. In other words, I didn't want to do things that destroyed my life until something said I can't do that. And then all of a sudden I wanted to do that thing that destroyed my life. But once Sins got his hands on the law code and decked itself out in all that finery, I was fooled and I fell for it. The very command that was supposed to guide me into life was cleverly used to trip me up, throwing me headlong. So sin was plenty alive and I was stone dead. But the law code itself is God's good and common sense. Each command sane and holy counsel. I can already hear the next question. Does that mean I can't even trust what is good that is the law? Is good just as dangerous as evil? No, again, sin simply did what sin is so famous for doing, using the good as cover to tempt me to do what would finally destroy me. By hiding within God's good commandment, sin did far more mischief than it could ever accomplished on its own. So here's what Paul does. He sits down with Jews who had become followers of Christ. And he said, I know that you found what you think is security in the law but you hate the law just like I do because the law really is what destroyed your life. Not really the law itself, but because you realized the futility of every time you tried to be righteous, you found yourself failing to, and the Bible also says to fail in one aspect of the law is to fail in all the law. So they were in perpetual hopelessness. And here's the really, really important thing that, that Paul says is, he goes, I want you to hear this. Sin uses good things to do bad things in your life. Sin uses even the church to make you feel badly about yourself, to make you do things that you might not ordinarily do, to rebel because we're rebellious by nature sin fools us sin is deceitful sin pretends to be things that it's not sin literally lines itself up with good things to make itself look good because it's in the company of good things there are so many things that you and I do and we call them good because that's how sin works it fools us into believing that it's helping us accomplish the right things and do the right things Romans 3.20 says this, for no man can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But in Christianity, it feels like to me, and maybe you disagree, but I've been around the church for a long, long time. I've been in the church for a long, long time, and I've led the church for a long, long time. And I have to tell you, it feels as if we've come up with our own new law code but we just kind of package it in grace so that it feels softer and kinder and, and we're not really anti-biblical about it. We just sort of made up a new way of controlling people with guilt, of motivating you to live your life for Christ through motivating you to be less sinful. And then you get up and you can't be less sinful, so you just go, I'm not going to be good at being a Christ follower because I can't stop sinning. And then we walk around believing that Christianity is about the idea of becoming godly through becoming less sinful. And we forget the whole message of grace. We forget the whole work of the cross. And then somebody says, well, you can't just be all about grace because if you're all about grace, then people will just go out and sin without any repentance and people will just do whatever they want to do. And that's not really true at all. Because those who are Christ followers want to be more like Christ. And you're still going to feel bad when you sin because you know it moved you further from the goal of being like Christ. But we've got to rob sin of its ability to continue to deceive us. To fool us into believing that a life as a Christian is about a life without sin. That your journey as a Christian is to stop sinning. I'm going to tell, I want to tell you, be a part of this whole conversation because each individual message on its own is going to be probably heresy by itself. Okay. So if you want to take snips of this and put it on TikTok and show uh, this really anti-biblical teaching, you're going to have a lot of luck in our messages because it's one long dialogue and it's one long conversation. But I'm telling you, your journey as a Christian, you have to stop making your goal to stop sinning. Okay. Hang in, hang in the whole conversation with me from beginning to end. It's five weeks long and you'll understand what I mean. Okay. Sin is a scammer. Grab your notes because we'll probably work through these. Sin scams me and keeps scamming me when I keep believing that sin is something different than it really is. So I get a call from the IRS probably twice a week and uh, they let me know that if I don't make a payment right there on the phone, they're going to put a warrant out for my arrest and I'll go to jail. Um, So you can imagine the stress I live under as a fugitive (laughs) running from the IRS police. And of course, it's not the IRS that's trying to get my money. Well, I mean the IRS, (laughs) they're trying to get my money too. Um, uh, But this, in these instances that they call, it's not them. It's someone in India or another country uh, calling me and pretending, trying to fool me into believing that they are the IRS and that I owe them money and they're trying to get that from me. And uh, now I know that's a scam and you might as well, but I would tell you this, that they would not continue to do that unless it was successful on some people. So it's working, right? They're, 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 they're successful at fooling some people. And I have to tell you that sin is just that. Sin scams us by making us believe it's something that it isn't. Hebrews 3.13 says this, encourage each other every day for as long as we can still call or still say today, as long as there's still a day to live, you need to continue to do this, encourage each other. And it means encourage each other in the faith and in truth so that none of you let the deceitfulness of sin harden your hearts. We have to constantly challenge each other with truth because if not, we'll start believing the narrative, we'll start taking the phone call from sin and believing what sin tells us about itself. We see sin and we respond to sin and we identify sin and we accept sin, um, not for what it really is because we prefer to use our own definitions of sin Because if we use our own definition of sin, and by that I mean, we like to see sin as being something very evil and it's corrupt and it's perverse and it's malicious and it's mean spirited and it's hateful and it's dark and it's really, really bad. And if we can continue to keep sin within those guardrails, within that definition, then most of what we do isn't sin, is it? Because if we lie and we lie for the right reasons, then that's not really a sin. If we lie to steal from somebody and to take a, uh, an old lady's social security check, that's sin. That would, be the, that would be the kind of deceit and lie that's sin, but us lying because we don't wanna to go to a family event and saying that we already have something, that's not sin. See how we do that? And if we talk about somebody, And we do it and we just go, I'm worried about them. And I just, I feel like, I feel like something needs to happen. And then we talk about them without really the intention of ever helping them because we would have gone to them. We talk about them, but we veil it under good motives. That's not the same as just trying to tear down somebody's reputation and tell complete lies about them. Right? See how we're able to marginalize and, and, and recategorize what sin is. But listen to what 1 John 3, 4 says. It says, all who indulge in a sinful life are dangerously lawless. For sin is a major, I love this, sin is a major disruption of God's order. Surely you know that Christ showed up in order to get rid of sin. There is no sin in him and sin is not part of his program." No one who lives deeply, deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. Now that's a full of qualifications. We'll unpack that a little later. None of those who do practice sin have taken a good look at Christ. They've got him all backward. It's a great definition. And here's what the definition is. It is living outside the law and it's messing up God's order, God's perfect order. If we were to live in the order of God, in the purpose and plan of God, our lives would go swimmingly well. We would have everything we want. The desires of our heart would be filled. We would not introduce death. And I don't mean that in the literal dying sense, but I mean the end of the dream of what God meant for our marriages to look like. If we didn't disrupt and live outside of God's, the laws of God, If we lived within the confines of the plan of God, then we would never introduce unhealthiness and toxicity and pain into our relationship with our kids and our relationship with our spouses and our relationship with ourselves, our worldview, our relationship with truth. But it's sin. It's sin that disrupts all of that. So it's kind, of a, it's kind of a good definition and it's a bad definition. What it does is it disallows us from making up our own definition. Sin is simply anything that isn't God. Anything in us that isn't God. That's it. That's all sin is. So we got to stop making it this really big, argh, frightening, Halloween-like monster. Lisa and I have been... Uh, watching a lot of Netflix, scary movies. And uh, I gotta tell you, for the most part, they're not scary at all. Uh, they have huge budgets. I'm curious as to how they concluded at any of their pitch meetings that this was gonna be scary. And um, weird, a lot of weird movies out there, not not a lot of scary movies. And I'd, I often say I lack a fear chip. I don't weirdly get scared by almost anything at all. I Do not get scared. I can go on the craziest, most insane roller coasters in the world, and uh, they don't, I'm not afraid at all. You know what I am afraid of? Goofy Sky School at Disney. Has anybody been on Goofy Sky School? That is the most terrifying, and it's a kid's ride, and it's horrifying. I'm just gonna let you know, there are things related to this message, not at all. I just needed you to know that, that I'm, So what this definition does is it moves us away from asking the question, is what I'm doing right or wrong, or is it evil or good, or is it kind or mean? And it begins to ask the question, we begin to ask the question, am I messing up God's order with what I'm thinking right now? Am I outside of the law that is meant to save me from myself? Or what I'm saying right now, is it messing up God's order? Or is what I'm doing or how I'm living my life, is it outside, am I living lawless? That's a bigger question that we ought to be asking ourselves. Romans 3.23 says this, it's a famous passage that says, all have sinned and all their futile attempts to reach God in his glory fail. Every single one of us sins But most of us don't recognize how often we sin because we've made up definitions that make sin feel something other than it really is. But we are sinning almost all the time. That feels defeating, but you shouldn't be defeated by that. Because again, sin is just what's not God. It's not some plan to overthrow the throne of God. It's not your covetous uh, need to murder someone to have their spouse. It doesn't have to be that big. It just means not doing it the way God planned for you to do it that would help you achieve becoming who he's created you to be. Does that make sense? Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, how we here sit not Catholic but rather Protestant, He led a revolution against the Catholic church and things that they were doing wrong that had moved them away from scriptural integrity. And he had an interesting thing that he said. He said, whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. Amen. (laughs) Somebody's like, is it Martin Luther, you say? Okay. They actually sell that t-shirt, by the way. I saw that uh, recently. Uh, I think he might have been being facetious um, that drinking beer gets you to heaven. Um, That wasn't the goal of his thing. He was maybe trying to highlight the fact that um, when we're inactive, we can't sin. So when you're sleeping, you're not sinning. And unfortunately, that's not even true. So I, wanna, I want you to get how often and how frequently and how regularly you're just living in not God. That's what sin is, not God. And, and next week, I'm actually going to help you understand that the English language has robbed us of the ability to truly understand sin because we just use the same word And there's like four or five different words, Greek and Hebrew, that the Bible uses to describe sin that have all different meanings. One means to simply, it's an archer's term, to miss the mark. You see, missing it. Another means to stumble and fall. Other has a more aggressive meaning, but we just call it all the same thing. And because we call it all the same thing, it, it, it makes everything feel bigger than it really is. But I want you to read this passage with me in James 4, 17. It says this, anyone who knows the right thing to do but does not do it is sinning. So even when you think you're sitting still on your hands, not watching TV, not thinking any bad thoughts, you're just sitting and you go, for the first time today, I'm not sinning. And you're wrong. You're still sinning. Because there's something you're supposed to be doing. There's a right thing that God's challenged you and called you and equipped you and, and, and moved in your heart for you to do and you're not doing it. It actually doesn't mean just a singular act, but it means if you're not living the right way, the way you were created to live, then you're sinning. In other words, you're doing it your way, not God's way. So we have to be more honest with ourselves and start seeing everything we do that isn't God as is what it is, and that's sin. In, in future messages, we're going to talk about what sin has the power to do in your life and what it doesn't have the power to do. We're going to talk about grace. We're talking about living in freedom, and we're going to talk at the very end about how you can really stop falling for the enemy's primary weapon against you and that's to control your heart and mind through deceit. Secondly is this. <clears throat> I'm skipping a scripture, so don't start sweating. Sin keeps scamming me when I keep believing that sin is less powerful than it really is. That sin's less powerful than it really is. So uh, Jesus said this in John eight thirty four. He says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who commits sin surrenders his freedom to sin and he is a sin to slaves power. So it's unimaginable for us as free people, which we are in this country, no matter how much you watch particular news channels that make it sound like every one of our freedoms have been taken. None of your, none of your freedoms have been taken. Take a, take a deep breath. You live in the freest country in the world. Okay. And, um, I'm not meaning to be political. I'm just telling you that we are so hypersensitive to freedom being taken away from us that even the slightest thing that inconveniences us, we believe it's freedom being stolen. And so we cringe at the idea that our freedoms would be taken away from us. So if Jesus says anyone who sins surrenders themselves to slavery and they are a slave to sin, we nod our head politely because Jesus said it. Okay, Jesus, I, I agree with you. But in our hearts, we're going, not me. I'm not a slave to anyone. Nothing has the power to take away my freedom. Well, I, I'm going to maybe help you redefine what it looks like to be a slave. Um, Lisa sent me this TikTok the other day and just said, This is you. And maybe pause it. Yeah, so it says, if you can't read it, the ADHD urge to buy a thing, watch all the videos about the thing, religiously track the shipping until the thing arrives, open the box to get to the thing and then place the thing somewhere and forget about it for six to 60 months. <laughs> and uh, that is me, it was me. I, say, I call it pre-medication, Chris, pre-adderall, Chris. And uh, that was me because in the ADHD mind, listen, there is a, uh, a, almost a chemical drive that causes us to believe that the thing we're focused on will legitimately make us happy and that it will make us feel content and we'll be satisfied and we'll never have to buy another thing again in our life if we just have this thing. And then we get the thing and there's a maybe like a really brief dopamine hit and then it's gone instantly and we go, oh, and we drop it and we don't even remember we bought it. And then we go and we buy more things. Um, I'll give you an example of how it would have worked for me. So we went to Disney last weekend and uh, I knew that I'd be walking 12, 15 hours a day because that's how my kids are trying to get their inheritance early is just to give me a heart attack. So I told Lisa, I said, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go out way outside of our clothing budget and I'm buying a nice pair of shoes. Like I'm gonna research what is the best shoe for a dude like me. <laughs> and I, I'm not running a marathon. I'm gonna walk at Disney for 38 straight hours. What's the best shoe? And I found, um, Hoka and I went to REI and I bought these Hoka shoes and they were amazing and I loved them and pre medication Chris would have gone you must buy every pair of shoes Hoka sells. You must buy the orange ones and the other kind and this kind and that kind, right? Because it it I want to tell you something. I nobody forced me to do any of that. I voluntarily Surrendered myself to that control And you may not have ADHD But I promise you have an addiction to sin I promise there are things in your life That you continually choose That you have never even prayed about To ask whether they're God's will for you or not Because you're not interested You don't care whether they are or aren't Because that's what you want You might even think that's what you need and if you want and need that, then how would God be so cruel, so mean-spirited to try and take that away from you? Sin is powerful enough to call us into slavery. Romans 7, 17 through 23 says, For I know the law, but I still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it. I just can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. And I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens to me so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's command, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. (laughs) Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. That's a description of slavery. And that's the power that sin has. And I want to tell you this. If Paul, the great apostle, the great missionary, the great pastor, struggled to control his urge to sin and could not break free from sin's control, I think you and I might want to take a more honest look at ourselves. And then third and finally is this. Sin is more powerful than it really is. Sin keeps scamming me when I believe that sin is more powerful than it really is. And I think this is probably the most important part of this discussion. Because I think that there is so much scripture that uncovers... How limited sin's power is, but we choose not to believe them because we'd rather keep believing in Oz. It's as if Toto has run up and pulled the curtain back and we see Oz, the great and terrible. Just a little man scared, pushing buttons and pulling levers and making lots of noise, scary big noise. Lots of scary imagery. And we figure out that we've been scammed. Sin's not nearly as terrible as we think it is. It's not nearly as controlling as we think it is. It's not nearly as powerful as we think it is. It just does a really good job of putting on a really good show. And listen, we pull the curtain back and cover Oz back up because we would prefer to believe in this monstrous being that we're too powerless to overcome so that we have an excuse to not stop sinning. It's as if we want to continue to believe in the illusion. First Corinthians 10 13 says this, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. In other words, your sins are not that big of a deal, and God is a really big deal. They're small, he's big. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. That's sort of where we get our God will never uh, put more in your life than you can. That's sort of where we get it. It's a misuse of that. Um, And it says more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure the temptation so that you can move through it without being captivated by it. Sin, its only power, this is probably worth writing down, its only power is the power that you give it. All of sin's power has been voluntarily given to it by you. There isn't a single temptation, not a single sin that got into your life against your will or mine. Every single sin I've ever committed, I've wanted to. Now, sometimes those sins were committed out of stupidity, ignorance, not knowing their destructive value, not knowing how that would ultimately hurt me later or hurt people I love. But 100% of the power that sin has is being offered to it. It's as if we interviewed and then hired a slave master to control us. And then we've deceived ourselves into believing that that slave master has us and there's no way to escape. But Colossians 3.5 says this. This is the same Paul that talked just a minute ago. And he said, so put to death anything that comes from sinful desires. Get rid of sexual sins and impure acts. Don't let your feelings get out of control. Remove from your life all evil desires. Stop always wanting more and more. You might as well be worshiping the statues of gods. Listen to what Paul does right here. He says, put to death, get rid of, don't let, remove, stop, He gives us all the control words that we need, reminds us that we get to decide the role, the place, the power and the authority that sin has in our life. If you start looking at sin as the class bully that just keeps pulling your pants down in front of everyone and making you look stupid and making you look weak, and making you feel badly about yourself. If you start seeing sin as the illusion of power and not power itself, then you start realizing how little sin really can do to you or in you without your permission. And then you'll start asking yourself this question, why in the world would I want to do things that ultimately, even if I don't know it, God knows will bring pain in an area of my life or end something good in my life that's meant to continue on or ruin something that's good. Because when God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of this tree, you will surely die the enemy came to them with a question that was true and false at the same time. He said, God said you'd surely die. Really? Die? Well, in actuality, they didn't die, did they? Because it was inferred, at least, that if they ate of it, they would cramp up and die right there in the moment. But God really introduced the idea that sin is a slow poison. That just robs you of the paradise he created for you. Did they die? Well, I mean, they eventually did. And was Satan lying? Not really. But he sort of twisted God's word to say, God's not going to kill you for eating fruit he created, is he? So I wonder just how long we're going to let Oz keep pushing our buttons, keep pulling the levers and keep controlling us and making a fool of us, scaring us, making us feel like we're a slave and we have no power when we do. And where we don't, God does. Because God is faithful. And he's bigger than sin. He's so big that it makes me wonder why we don't always relent to him instead of to sin. And I think it's pretty obvious that Sin has immediate gratification. And following Christ is a discipline that pays off in a lot of quiet ways that manifest themselves later. And it's a lot easier getting paid and spending it on something that you want than getting paid and investing in your future, your retirement, your kid's inheritance. I get it, in almost every area of our life, immediate gratification feels a lot better. But I hope at some point you and I learn the value of growing up and putting childish ways behind us and deciding for ourselves that I'm just tired of doing it this way. I'm just tired of doing it my way. I'd like to try it God's way. Because here's the good news. You can always go back. Try it God's way. You can always go back to screwing up your life later. (laughs) Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And I appreciate you hanging out with me for a couple extra minutes. Father, alert our minds and our hearts to what sin really looks like. It's everything that's not you. It's living outside of the law. It's disrupting and messing up the perfect order that you penned into our lives before we were even born. It's just simply choosing our way instead of your way. And it leads to nothing good. Allow us to see sin that clearly in our life so that whatever thought or words getting ready to roll off our mouth, we just say, is this messing up your order? Is this moving me away from your plan? More importantly, is this undoing what you've created me to be? So God, all I'm asking for is that we just become hyper alert not so that we're defeated or discouraged or that, so that we're saddened or so that we're angered by our sin. But we just go, wow. I mean, really, I just sin constantly. I, 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 don't even, I don't even know the difference now between doing good things and doing things that are sinful, that are moving. I just don't even know because I haven't even thought through whether this is the right thing to do. Whether this is the God thing to do. I'm just so involved in me. I have a feeling almost everything I do is sin." And maybe our hearts can swell with the hope that that was the entire mission of Jesus was to come rob sin of its power and of its consequence and of its sting. Help us with that, Lord, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen with me.